I can't really think of a better song to sing than that song as we go into the word this morning. Uh, you know, we, sometimes we're asked, did you guys like pick the songs to go along with the text? Yes. Yes, we do that thing. Um, man, I, we could just sing that song on repeat, I think, for 30 minutes. And if you would pay attention to the progression of your hope, you would have this sermon. You would have our time in the Word today. So I, I want to kind of set a seed of thought in your mind, and I want us to pray over it, and then we'll jump in. But here's the seed of thought. It is good to be a forward thinker, to think ahead. I, I think the um, maybe one of the most profound lessons we can learn in personal leadership is to ask when we will measure success. Not how, but when. It's important to think forward. I mean, it is. and I, I mean, I don't have to convince you of that. You know that. You find the value in everything from your education to finance to health, even like your meal planning, right? Some of you, I can see it on your faces, you're panicking. You have no idea what you're going to eat after this. You're going to have to focus back through, come back in, you got it. But all of that is planning. It's thinking ahead. And you value it to one degree or another. So it's not really a question of should we it's not even really a question of do you find value in it. It's a question of whether or not we prepare or think forward well. Whether we do this thing well or not. Have you ever heard the expression that generals are always fighting the last war? It, it, it's this expression that our generals are always thinking back to the previous war and adjusting to it as they go forward. It speaks to our tendency to prepare for the future through the lens of the past. We do this because we know the past. We accept the past. The past is certain to us. But the future, on the other hand, is yet to be. It's not certain to us. We haven't experienced it. And so to live looking to the future is to see through the hope of something that is yet to be. Yet to be. This is our salvation. This is an incredible thing to consider. And today in our text, Peter is going to say this very thing. Consider your salvation. And when he tells us this, he is not telling us to look back, but to look ahead. I'm going to ask you to pray and ask the Lord to give you wisdom and hope to look forward and consider your salvation this morning. Would you take just a moment and pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the church. But Father, we gather here to praise you 
and to thank you for being our Savior. You are supreme. You stand above all other beings. You are the creator. We praise you. And in your great mercy, you give us the gift of salvation. Father, give us the wisdom to meditate on these things this morning. Give us the faithfulness to praise you and bring you glory and honor as we do. In the name of your son Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. I'm going to do a little bit of a review. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're walking through Peter as a church. It's not too late to jump into our reading plan and read along with us. I'd encourage you to do so. You can find that reading plan on tcbchurch.org. You can find that on our app. There's physical copies outside the doors. Read and study along with us as we go through this great letter. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The Father, in his great mercy, has caused us to be born again. In the resurrection, Jesus, God's Son, has victory over death. The Father sent the Son, the Son gave his life for us, and conquered death in the resurrection. And we now live in hope of an imperishable salvation to be revealed in Jesus. See, Paul's mentioned this the last two weeks, but it's really imperative that we get it this morning. When we think of our salvation, we think past. And we think of the sense of our salvation that really happens at conversion in our justification. Big word. It just means that we are declared right before God. And we tend to think of salvation in that declaration. That declaration is absolute. It's not you and I promising someone something, right? This is God, the creator, sovereign, supreme being. If he promises it, he will deliver it. We are declared righteous before God, not of any work of our own, but fully in his son Jesus. And so in that sense, our salvation is in the past. But we have not yet been made into what we have been declared to be. That process of being transformed into the full stature of Christ, into his image, is at work in us right now and will continue into the future. The Bible talks about that in sanctification, this process, this continued work in us, making us 
into what we have been declared to be. Ultimately, glorification, the full image of Christ. And in this sense, our salvation is active presently, watch, and into the future. Notice the timestamp Peter puts on this. I want you to understand why we're talking about this. Notice the timestamp on their living hope, this theme for us as we walk through it. Verse 5, to be revealed in the last time. Now remember, Peter is writing to these elect exiles. They have been chosen by God into his family. They are now outsiders in this world. And so their trials, their sufferings that are still presently with them destroy any illusion that they are living their best life right now. It just destroys it. And so here they are. Is this right? Is this the way it should be? And Peter is writing to them and he's encouraging them because their trials and their sufferings would make them question why do I have this right? Peter wants to understand that this is not sad news. Instead, no, this is part of the good news. And so in verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here we go again. Notice the time stamp. Verse 7, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, we live with hope, we rejoice, we are marked by praise and worship. Those of us who are in Jesus, this is how we live, with hope, rejoicing, marked by praise and worship. Why? Because our hope lives beyond our circumstance. Our hope lives beyond the suffering and the trial of the day. Our hope is living in Jesus. To the unbeliever, that's so naive. To the unbeliever, that is foolishness. I mean, think about it from that perspective for just a moment. To live according to a future grace. To lose everything in this world and still rejoice. To set aside the pleasures of this world for something that is beyond, for something that has yet to be. See, to the unbeliever, that's just naive and foolish. But to the believer, that is saving faith. That is the power of God unto salvation. It's faith. And so Peter goes on, verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Faith beyond past experience, faith beyond present experience, Faith, a transformational living hope, watch, in who is to come. Not what, who is to come. Verse 7, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is our hope. And so in our section today, Peter writes in verse 10, concerning this salvation, concerning this salvation, The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. This salvation presently experienced in declaration, held in faith of a future to be fulfilled was prophesied in the past. See, Peter reminds his readers, he reminds you and I, in the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied a message that was not their own. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating a measure of grace in salvation to be ours. Yours, mine, on this very day. They prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, verse 10. See, your salvation was no accident. Listen, hear me. Your salvation was no accident. Not only is your salvation no accident, neither is your current experience as an elect exile. God hasn't, like, messed up. He hasn't forgot about you. You're not somehow just adrift, isolated, separated from him. See, this living hope is a gift for us, the elect exiles at this time. This living hope of this salvation was purposed, purposed for you. You were called to it. You were set apart for it. You are not here by accident. There hasn't been a mistake. Today is part of God's plan. You were called 
to this grace. He said, but you don't know what my today looks like. You don't know how hard my today is. I'm going to chase a rabbit for just a second. Some of you are like, no surprise. I'm going to chase a rabbit real quick. This isn't in the notes, and so if it's a little, a little choppy, just bear with me. There comes a day in the life of a believer where he or she begins to reckon with the supremacy of God. God, as he reveals himself to be in Scripture, a reckoning with a God that would call Abraham to sacrifice his son. You say, well, I mean, yeah, but he stopped them. The reckoning that would pour out his wrath on the Egyptians and kill every firstborn. The reckoning with a God who would command his people to annihilate the Canaanites. You say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. A reckoning that would create a man blind from birth so that in his weakness, his name would be glorified. See, we have as a principle of our church that we exist for the glory of God. And as we grow to understand more and more of who he is, there is a reckoning with our own pride. There is a reckoning with our own tradition. We acknowledge that he is supreme. That happened for me. I was a few years in ministry and I was reading through Ezekiel. And it was a story I knew, but it hit me different. I had been married a couple of years. And man, I love my wife. She is the greatest blessing the Lord has given me. For some of you, your marriage might be the hardest ministry God has given you. Be faithful and glorify the Lord in that. For me, it is one of the sweetest gifts. It's, one of the, it's just easy. I, I'm incredibly thankful. That's not because of her. That's not because of me. It's not our work. It's just what the Lord has given us. And in this day, I'm thankful. And early on in that, I'm reading through Ezekiel. And there's this part in Ezekiel's life, he's a prophet, and Ezekiel does everything faithfully, really, unto the Lord. He is one of the more faithful prophets you will read about, and his life is hard. And when you read through Scripture, standing behind him is an incredibly faithful helpmate and wife. The Bible says that she is the apple of Ezekiel's eye. And one night... God tells Ezekiel, tomorrow I'm going to take the apple of your eye. I'm going to take your wife. And the next morning, his wife was dead. To serve as an illustration. To bring glory and honor to his name. And Ezekiel is commanded not to mourn but to go carry the message. 
And I realized in that moment as I was reading that story, I don't think I'm down with that. And what happened in my prayer life and what happened in me over the next couple of months was a real reckoning with a God who is supreme. We are not here by mistake. But do not confuse that, that you are here for your glory. We exist for the glory of God. And our life is an act of living worship before him. But in return to us is given a grace of salvation, a living hope that is profound. A grace so profound, the prophets and angels long to see it. The Old Testament prophets prophesied with passion and diligence. Verse 10, they searched and inquired carefully. The wind of their prophecies given to them in the Holy Spirit was unknown to them. They wouldn't see Jesus. They wouldn't live on this side of the cross. So in faith, they proclaim the good news, not for themselves, but for those who would experience such a living hope. For you and I, and all those on this side of the cross, a grace so profound the angels long to see. Stop and think about this for just a minute. God did not redeem the angels. Give some thought to that. God does not redeem the angels. They do not know such a grace. There is no repentance for the angels. There is no atonement for their sin. One of my friends, a pastor, he often says it this way. It's just a great thought. He says, From experience, the angels sing holy, holy, holy. But they will never sing amazing grace. They do not know such a grace. And can you imagine a race that the Bible says is beneath them, not as smart as them. We can't just fly around all the things they can do we can't do they look upon us with the amazement of the grace and the mercy that the creator would pour out on us that you and I might live with such a hope because what they knew was to be cast out of heaven like a bolt of lightning in their defiance and in their sin. And here you and I are, sinful, broken, and even on the other side, watch, even on the other side of the atoning work of Christ, do you know what we still do? Sin all the time. For those of us who are in Christ, still broken, stumbling, sinning, falling, And yet he loves us. And in his grace, he did not just pour it out on our past, but he pours it out on our present, and he pours it out over our future sin. 
I was one of those kids that was saved the day before I turned eight years old. I, I didn't grow up as some hooligan. I don't have crazy stories like that. Let me tell you something. It takes just as much grace to save me from my future sin as it does to save someone from their past. Oh, what grace in our salvation. The angels look at it with amazement. They long to see you and I live with a living hope in Jesus. What a grace. What a gift. What a salvation. So no wonder Peter says in verse 3, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What a grace. So as we move into verse 13 and it says, therefore, I want you to remember something. Verse 3 through verse 11, all of it, is one sentence. Apparently, Peter writes sentences like I do. We just go on and on and on. He doesn't understand periods. But it's really just one sentence in the Greek, okay? It's just a really, really long sentence, okay? One long sentence. It's all one thought. It's this salvation that is to be revealed in full in Jesus. And he says in verse 13, Therefore, because of this salvation that you live now in hope, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's walk through it. Therefore, because God has given you a living hope, proclaimed by the prophets of old, inspired by the Holy Spirit, fulfilled in Jesus at the amazement of angels. Therefore, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope fully, completely, with certainty on the gift not yet received that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. There's that time stamp again. That's our big truth this morning. As elect exiles, we set our hope on a future grace. As elect exiles, we set our hope beyond the circumstances of this world, beyond the things that fight for our attention today, on a future grace. The gift of salvation experienced in full at the revelation of Jesus. Now, this is simple enough to just kind of affirm it. And I think that's what happens for us a lot. We're kind of lazy of thought. I am, you are. It just happens to us. And so we just hear things. We kind of assume the same definition. And we just kind of affirm something, nod, and move on. And we all recognize that we set our hope into the future in Jesus. But it's challenging to set your hope. 
I mean, if I, if I were to really ask you, how do you set hope? That, that, that seems kind of abstract. That, that's hard to kind of even get your mind around. So practically, how do we set our hope on a future grace? I want you to remember a few things as we kind of approach that question. First, Peter is writing to the elect exiles, the elect Jesus followers. He's not speaking about their conversion. It's important. When he talks about setting your hope, he's not saying, hey, place saving faith in Jesus for the first time. These people have already done that. He's calling them to something else. He says, set your hope. It, it means wait with confidence. In context, right here, it, it really means this. Wait for your salvation with complete confidence. It has been declared by the one true God. It is as good as done. It is coming to you. Live with complete certainty that that is true. How do we do that? How do we set our hope with such certainty that we consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us? There's that time stamp again. This time it's by Paul in Romans. Peter offers two practical qualifiers for us. They both focus on our minds. If we are to set our hope, we must set our minds. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, he says. See, thinking in a new way doesn't just happen to us. It doesn't just happen. It it, it, it requires effort, concentration, focus, intentionality. Two big ideas you're going to find right here in the text that's going to help you set your hope. First, preparing our minds for action, we set our hope on a future grace. Preparing your minds for action. Again, you guys were here a few weeks ago in the intro. You know that's a metaphor. It doesn't actually say it that way in the text. It's a metaphor. The text actually says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, if you remember back in the day, they wore these long robes. And when it was time to go to work, when it was time to run, you would roll up your robe and you would tuck it in your belt. It allowed your legs to be free. You could run without being hindered, without being slowed down. Peter writes, and he understands the natural temptation of his reader, these exiles who are living in hardship and suffering. There's persecution and there's just trials in their life with Christ. And they're tempted to just hide and wait it out. Salvation is coming one of these days. I'm just going to hide right here and be as comfortable as I can. And wait it out. Isn't that a natural temptation? Can you be honest enough with yourself and realize you do that? I do that. When I'm tired, I'm tempted to wait to be refreshed. If I'm anxious, I want to wait for certainty. If I'm hurt, I want to wait for justice. 
If I'm unsatisfied, I want to wait until I feel content. Threatened, I want to wait for safety. Ignorant, I want to wait for some special revelation. Inexperienced, I want to wait for expertise. Overwhelmed, I want to wait for control. Peter says this is not the season to wait. You might be tired. You might be overwhelmed. Life may be hard. There may be opposition. There may be persecution in front of you. But have you read the end? You win. Live that way. So roll up your robe, tuck it in your belt, and get to work. Run. Run. Stop waiting. The only reason you have to wait are the circumstances of this world. The stuff that is present right in front of you. But everything that you call in hope, everything that you look forward to says run. For he is worthy of your life. He is supreme because he has brought salvation. In him there is living hope. Get your mind ready to run. Don't let the shell shock of hardship or trial or suffering turn you away from what will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Second big idea, keeping our minds alert, we set our hope on a future grace. Being sober-minded, it says. In other words, self-controlled, alert. Schreiner's got a great uh, commentary on 1 Peter. I'd encourage you to pick it up as we study through it. Man, he writes this. It's such a great statement. I want to read it to you. The translation here, to be sober-minded, he says, the translation to be self-controlled is adequate, but the metaphor Peter used is lost. Peter was not merely saying that believers should refrain from drunkenness. Listen, there is a way of living that becomes dull to the reality of God that is numbed by the attractions of this world. When people are lulled into such drowsiness, they lose sight of Christ's future revelation of himself and concentrate only on fulfilling their earthly desires. Man, that should sting. Pause and think about that. Numb to the revelation of Christ by the attractions of this world. Numb to the revelation of Christ that is to come. Why? Because we do not consider it. Because our mind is being bombarded every second by thousands and thousands of ideas from this world, from the attractions of this world, that we give no attention to the future grace that is before us. And we grow numb to it. 
drowsy to it. And we begin to concentrate ourselves more and more on the attractions of this world, the things of this world, and we forget to set our mind forward to the salvation that is to be revealed in full in Jesus. As elect exiles, we set our hope on a future grace. We do this through mental work, a mental work that keeps us alert and readies us for action. This isn't just isolated to Peter. Paul writes in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Colossians 3, 1 If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And so Paul writes in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. As the team comes up, let me set your mind to some application. It is time to run. It's time to run. It's time to turn away from the things of this world and run to the hope of salvation that is to be revealed in Jesus but that's so hard. Here's the illustration. Don't think about an elephant. Whatever you do, don't think about an elephant. Stop, don't think about it. See, you thought about an elephant, didn't you? Yep. It's not not simple enough to just like say, don't do that thing, and you'll just stop. Change is really hard for us if we approach it that way. Scripture calls us to set our attention forward. We don't turn our attention away from the circumstances that are present in our life by just forcing our mind not to pay attention to them. Instead, what we do is we turn our gaze and we look forward to the future salvation that is in Jesus that then becomes the lens at which we see our present circumstances. We have it backwards. We choose to look at everything through the lens of our present circumstances and look forward. Scripture calls us to do that in the opposite direction, to gaze forward to the hope of salvation that is to be revealed in Jesus. And let that be the lens in which we see everything else. See, it changes everything. That's why the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12:1, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so Uh, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us how looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul says it this way, Philippians 3, 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Church, do not let the attractions of this world numb your attention, numb your focus, numb your living hope that is in the salvation of Jesus to be revealed to you in full. Instead, roll up your robes, tuck them in your belts, and run the race that you were set apart to run. And run it with endurance, with that hope fed by the very power that saves you, the hope that is only in the one true God, a hope that is found in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our salvation declared to us at conversion, worked out in us presently and into our future. Father, we, your children, live with a certain hope that what you have declared in us, you will make to be so. Father, give us the faith to live that out today. To turn our attention and fix our gaze on your son Jesus and what we ultimately have in him, salvation. It's in his name we pray, amen.